welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That is you. You're the hero. I don't feel like a hero. Uh, God didn't declare it based upon your feelings. I don't look like a hero. Well, put some spandex on and jump around. Uh, whatever you got to do, do what you got to do. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care what your eyes see. I don't care what your ears hear. Your ears hear. God has declared certain characteristics over you. You can either embrace them, you can accept them. Today, I've placed before you the opportunity to be a hero. And if you reject it, you'll be a zero. Yeah? Is that okay? Are we succinct? Take that, Mitchell. Psalm 16:3. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. Note true. There's false heroes. There's cartoon superheroes. I have a neighbor. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. There's a person I know. <laughs> somewhere in America. That is older than me. And their car is plastered with superhero and Star Wars stuff. Grown man. It got quiet in here. How many, how many of you? <laughs> this is when I can look at you two. None of you do that. They idolize. Listen to me. It's normal in today's society to idolize a cartoon. And you're weird if you come in here and worship Jesus. Normal, idolize a cartoon. Crazy, weird, wacko, cult. Go to church on Christmas Day. <laughs> this is the world we live in. And there's still people in here that are struggling with the wisdom of this world wanting to be their wisdom. Well, I can't get, Bob wants us to give money during, during money. If I give money away, I have less. Yep. In the wisdom of this world, based upon human, rational, logical thought that you've been taught by fake scientists that also taught you about COVID, that are being exposed in Jesus' name. Amen. Those same scientific processes tell you that if you give money away, you have less. And yet every farmer that's ever existed knows that when they put their seed to death in the ground, that is the only way for them to get an increase. The only way. Not one of the many. It's the only way. And then God comes to you and says, hey, I would like for you to, to seed, to plant. Money, time, affection into someone that doesn't deserve it. 
Say amen. amen. They were listening to you. God is going to oftentimes tell you to do the exact thing that is contrary to the wisdom, the intellect of this world. And his wisdom is better. Going back to, to divine health, one of the ways that you have, to, you have to learn to start to guide your life is by using your tongue as a weapon against things that come against you. Isaiah 54, 17 says that one of the weapons are that when the enemy comes against us, the weapon that God has given us to fight against the enemy is with our tongue. You have to use your tongue against the things of the world. Now, any good mechanic knows that, that they use their tongue against the wrench when they slip and bust their knuckles. <laughs> and they curse the wrench, and they curse their knuckles, and they curse the car. And then we wonder why it takes twice as long to put it back together and then you bleed all over your side. It works in the reverse. Go, uh, don't do this, but you could imagine waking up tomorrow and you just curse your wife and your kids and just see how long that gives you the most amazing relationships in your life. We believe it in the curse side. We don't believe it in the blessed side. We don't believe that we can tell a sickness or tell a disease to get out of our body. Your tongue the double-edged sword that God has given you goes unutilized. And if you go start talking like that in front of all those people that are way more intellectual than you, they're going to think you lost your mind. But then let them have something bad happen to them. They'll go to cursing and swearing, and that's normal. The enemy has changed normal. They've given, the enemy has given humanity a new normal. God wants us to go back to his normal. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper in every tongue. What's the weapon? Tongue. Weapon and tongue are interchangeable in that verse. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, your pastor Steve will condemn for you after you call him and get 100 people on the prayer chain and then tell Facebook about it. You will condemn. Well, I'm not just going to go start talking to stuff. Okay, well, it's talking to you. Jesus talked to stuff. He talked to a storm. Amen? Anybody read the Bible? At least pretend. Yeah, I read it lots of times. He talked to a storm. Told it what to do. He talked to a tree. Mark 11, read it again. And you know what? The tree talked back. It said the tree and says that Jesus answered the tree and said. Yep. Which means the tree talked first. <laughs> Amen. This is the clip that they're gonna pull and they're gonna make Steve the crazy in Lena. I talked to a lot of stuff. I I'm gonna move on. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. God wants us to be true versions of heroes. The world has fake. The world has cartoon. 
God has the real. And they're sitting in this room. <laughs> and that is what pleases God. He takes pleasure in that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unplug for one second. God is a God of pleasure. This is, this is going to be a brand new wrinkle in some of your cerebral cortexes. God is a God of pleasure. He's so much a God of pleasure, Revelation 4.19 says that every single thing that he's ever created or ever will create was for his pleasure. Amen. Some of you will figure this out. I'm going to say one word and you'll figure it out. Ready? It's going to be a hard to hear word. You guys ready? Everybody's an adult, right? <laughs> Platypus. Think about it. Has no purpose. Is it a duck? Is it a beaver? Is it a rat? Did it fall into nuclear waste? No, he made a platypus. It, it literally stands forever as God saying, ha! <laughs> I made that. Fun God. Everything he has or ever will create was for his pleasure. All of the married people in the room. The reason Song of Solomon's in your Bible is to be a platypus. Somebody in here read Song of Solomon once. And if you really want to see the details of the platypus, then read it in the Passion Translation. Yeah. Better get you a hanky. <laughs> you ain't never been sending Bible verses to your spouse that fast. Baby, you know what you should read? Here, I'll copy and paste it for you. <laughs> LOL. Did you get it? Read receipt. She got it. She didn't respond. Children, let's change gears. Children, children are supposed to be for our pleasure. I might need to move on. This ain't going very well. God created everything for pleasure. God didn't have some need. He said, oh, man, we're, we're so destitute. We're so poor in the spirit realm. You know what we have to do? We have to make physical stuff. And then we'll fix everything. Everything's a total wreck right now. I'm so lonely. I'm so insecure by myself as God. I have to make all these things and make myself feel better. <sighs> Thank you, Adam and Eve. Ah, oh, they messed it up. God's not that way. He made us. You were made for his pleasure. 
And some people are sitting in this room, I don't even please me. Okay. It is still in you. It is part of who he created you to be. You can accept it or reject it. I know. It, when you start quoting Bibles and putting it in context and, and then it lands, you know, what do you do then? I, I would just encourage you to receive it. Amen. It's the Bible. It means what it means. God loves to take pleasure. And one of these things that he takes pleasure in is you when you embrace being a true hero for him. It pleases him. Colossians 1.27, God did this because he wanted you, beloved. I, I took Gentiles and changed it to beloved just for me. You don't have to change it in yours. You can be a Gentile. I'm okay with that. Just be gentle about it. God did this because he wanted you, beloved, to understand. You know what the word understand means? You know why law enforcement always use the word understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? Because they want you to stand under them. They want you to, they want you to give them your authority so that they can rule and reign over you. The enemy wants you to understand darkness. He wants you to understand wickedness. He wants you to understand what they're doing to you so you can stand under what the enemy is trying to do to you. God wants you to stand under what he has for you. He wants you to stand under his wonderful and glorious mystery, which is Christ lives in you. Back to the cartoon thing. I don't care how awesome your Iron Man glowy thing is. I don't care if you came from the Superman planet, whatever, Kryptonian, whatever. I don't care what they got. Christ on the inside of you is better than all of their cartoon versions of you being a superhero. Christ is super. You're the hero. He put his super in your hero. Amen. About four of you believe that. You know why? It's a mystery. It's still a mystery to some people. It's been revealed, but it's still mysterious. Christ is in me? Yep. Right now. Right now. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He goes where, you're go, where you go. He sees what you see, experience what you experience. And he's not ashamed to call himself your God. A covenant friend is the one that's walking into your life when everyone else is walking out. A hero is a covenant friend. When everybody else is walking out of your life, Jesus is walking in. When all men forsake you, Jesus will not forsake you. The psalmist said, if my nursing mother forgets me, 
God would never forget me. A covenant friend is a hero, and a hero is a covenant friend. Now, I'm going to use this term covenant friend throughout our time together, and I'm already aware of the fact that it probably doesn't really mean a whole lot to most of the room. Because you say covenant, and it's just one of those English words that's kind of out there floating around in the stratosphere of words that probably mean something, might even mean something important, but doesn't necessarily mean anything to you. And so I'm, I'm taking a chance here, I get that. And if that's you, then just be humble enough to admit that you don't get it, and you need to get it, because it is the word of the Bible. Covenant. In the Old Testament, it was hased. And it is the characteristic of God. A covenant lover. In the New Testament, we have agape. And it is the God kind of love that compels him to you. And we do not understand covenant in this society, let alone in American modernized Christianity. You can quit people like it's Friday at 5 p.m. You can quit churches like it's Friday at 5 p.m. You can... I'm not going to go there. We are called to be better. We are called to be something more. We don't give up on people. People are not our used cars that we loan for a couple days and then throw them in a junk heap. People are not your disposable things that you buy from the store and you use it one time and then you throw it away. When we were in high school, the adults would teach us, and I, it's probably a thousand times worse now, so breaks my heart. But we were taught when we were in high school you need to try out relationships. Go on a lot of dates. You can even try out sexuality. You gotta see if you're compatible. In other words, treat people <laughs> like they're a rent-a-car. And if they perform real good, I mean real, real good, if they meet all the qualifications, if they check all the boxes, if they give you everything that your little darling heart desires, then you can keep them. But first, live with them. Live with them first. Give it a go. See how it works. Do some adulting together. And then if they really, really qualify, after all the performance that you've demanded from them, then you can go down to the courthouse, get you a piece of paper that says that you just changed the status of you living together. Now you're really, really living together. That's the world system. We were taught it when we were young. Not one part of that has anything to do with covenant. The word covenant means a cut where blood flows. The reason the psalmist said that if my nursing mother forgot about me, even God wouldn't forget about me. Now, it's a little stranger in today's society because we kill the unborn 
But most of people in this room, probably all of the people in this room, all the mothers in this room, you don't go through nine months of gestation and nine minutes of birth. or nine hours, or nine days, or nine millennium, whatever it feels like to you. You don't go through that and then birth that child and then forget that you love that child. You kind of earned it. There, there has been a place where blood has flowed. And now you're holding what you suffered so long for. Covenant. We don't have relationships like that. There are people in my life, not many, but there are people in my life that I'd rather die. I'd rather die than not have relationship with them. And it's a God thing. It's not a Steve thing. It's a God thing. And we should be more that way. If you are a friend of Jesus Christ, a covenant friend, you're a hero. Judges chapter 6, we're going to talk about Gideon. Anybody? Like, yeah, okay. Like four of you remember that I threatened to do this 16 messages ago. Verse 7, I'm going to do this in the BSB. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel and said unto them, can you, hold one second right there. When you got issues and problems that make you whine and complain and cry out to God, you know oftentimes what he sends you? What you don't want. I don't want no stinking prophet. Send glory or pixie dust or a unicorn or something. No, I'm going to send you a prophet. I don't want a prophet. I don't care. I don't want a Bible verse, pastor. Tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do to fix everything. Okay, here's the Bible verse. No, tell me something real. Mm. Now we got it. He sent them a prophet who told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Hey, beloved, you've been born again. You've been redeemed. You've been brought out of slavery. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you. God did that. As awesome as you are, and I know some of you like literally like hung the moon and the stars. You are that awesome. As awesome as you are, Pretty much God did everything for you. That resonates with some people more than others. Because some of you really think like, I mean, you know, you made this awesome, amazing cake of your life and Jesus came along, he little Jerry on top. 
Not me. I made a big old pie that was warm and steamy. Yep, some of you joined me. And I was going to eat that pie. And Jesus came along and said, that's a bad pie. How about we just burn that? We'll, we'll nail that to the cross, send it to hell, and I'll give you an actual cake that is beyond your imagination. Okay. It's just that much humble. Okay, I'll eat your pie, cake. And I said unto you, I'm the Lord God. I'm the Lord, your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but you've not obeyed my voice. So then by default, what did they do? They feared the gods. They feared the gods. Well, I'm scared of the COVID. I'm scared of the government. I'm scared of all the things that could happen to me if I don't do this or do that. I'm going to... I'm going to honor the government, right? Isn't that what Romans 13 says? Do everything the government tells me to do. Be a good little slave. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to the glowing screen that tells me how to be sick when I turn 40. We're going to honor and fear all these gods. Even though God told us not to, he doesn't know what kind of pressure we have in 2022. If he knew, he wouldn't have said that. But you did not obey me. And there came an angel of the Lord. I don't know if I want to do this. Because it might take a minute. I'll just say it. And then anybody that wants some proof, uh, we'll go back in and drill down. But a, the physical manifestation of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is almost every time Jesus. This is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, the Ebazrite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. He was hiding behind a wine press, threshing wheat to make food so the Midians wouldn't take his food away. He was in fear, showed no courage, was not a mighty man of valor, did not have in any way the signs of being a hero. I mean, this guy was like limp-wristed of all the limp-wrists. And Jesus shows up. Jesus is going to blast this sorry sucker, tell him how terrible he is, give him, give him the what for, right? Just like we do when we show up and somebody's acting a fool. We're going to tell them, give them a little piece of my mind. You've been giving people pieces of your mind so much you ain't got none left. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. 
the angel Jesus been drinking a little bit too much new wine because he don't know who he was talking to. This is where we get our verse out of the CEV that says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Jesus shows up as an angel to this guy that's beaten wheat behind the wine press to hide it from the Midianites because they were completely in servitude to the Midianites. They were slaves in their land to people that God ran off and told them never to get into slave to. And Jesus shows up, and if you would have been Jesus in the story, you'd have showed up and said, get your sorry butt. What's wrong with you? Don't you know what I did for you? But he shows up and he calls him by his identity. <laughs> and this is so God. This is so a covenant friend. He doesn't show up and call you by your sin. He doesn't show up and call you by your failure. He doesn't show up and call you by what you're not doing. He, he shows up and calls you by what he's created you to be, what he's called you to be, what he has already destined to happen in your life. He calls you what you really are. And because we're so unfamiliar with that in today's society, we don't know how that works. He calls him a hero. You and I would have been standing there, we would have said, Jesus, you are wrong. Like, not to get into your P's and Q's, but you missed it. And Gideon said unto him, oh my Lord, <laughs> good for him, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? You, you want to know where this thing in Christianity comes from, where we just judge the whole world based upon what we see, hear, smell, taste, and feel? Well, if God was, was going to heal me, I'd be healed. If God was going to bless me, I'd be blessed. If God was going to work on my finances, he'd work on If God was going to fix my emotions, he'd fix them. He'd just snap his finger and do it. This is, this is where it came from. People who are judging God's will are judging what God wants to have happen in their life based upon what is physically, visually happening. Right? Well, if God wants me to get this job, then they'll call me. Or maybe Satan wants you to get the job and he'll have them call you. When you start weighing out natural things and calling them supernatural, you might not be shocked at which supernatural entity is going to answer your prayers. Man, is that important. You want to irritate me? Tell me how you figured out God's will by looking at the four things. Amen. This happens all the time where I'm talking to someone or, or counseling them or uh, discipling them and they're like, yeah, but this happened and this happened and this happened, so this has to be God. You're right. I agree. Those are supernatural encounters. But it may not be big G God. That could be little G God trying to get into your life and showing you what he's doing. Oh boy. If God's before us, then where, what has befallen us? Where are all the, and where be all his miracles which our fathers told us saying, did not the Lord bring us up? Right? Like, if God wants me to have miracles, then he'd have the miracles that he had last generation. They'd just show up in my life. They'd just, poof, pop out of the genie bottle. 
Because that's how God works, right? These are people that are ignorant to how things actually happen. Why did God tell Moses to hold out his staff across the Red Sea? So that Moses would split the Red Sea with God's power. It was God and Moses working together. God always partners with people. If you're waiting for God to just fly in, But now the Lord has forsaken us. You know, we know the Bible a little better than Gideon did because if God showed up as an angel in my life and I was hiding out from the, like I was in my basement with my mask on, hiding from COVID because it can't go in basements. And Jesus showed up as an angel in my basement. He said, Steve, mighty hero. And I said, or he said, the Lord's with you, mighty hero. And I said, the Lord's with me. The Lord was with me. Why, would I, why am I in the basement with a mask on hiding from the COVID? <laughs> if you were God, you'd answer that question. <laughs> Jesus was more gracious. I don't want to go there yet. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, verse 14, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Have not I sent thee? Go in this thy might. What's his might? Am I not sending you? That's the might. He's got a call from God. That's the might. He didn't give him a glowing sword. He didn't give him a little backup guardian angel, you know, with 70-inch biceps with a big sword that walks around behind him like, yeah, that's right, I'm with Gideon. You know what Gideon got? I'm sending you. You know what most of us don't want to hear? Because we, we want the miracle, we want the flash. Give me the supernatural. Let something come down and rattle the walls, right? Like, like Paul, an earthquake, send an earthquake. And then he's like, how about a still small voice? No, 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 not that. Fire, send fire. <laughs> in, the, in the CEV version of Verse 16, it says, Gideon, the Lord answered, you can rescue Israel. Because I am going to help you. Defeating the Midianites will be as easy as beating up one man. Amen. Some of you ain't never been in a fight when you were younger, I can tell. You, it's way better when one guy comes after you than four or five behind the gym at Taylor Park Grade School. <laughs> I have some memories. You can, you can take on one guy. With God as your wingman. 
Sometimes we look at the numbers, we look at the problem, we look at the enormousness, the magnitude of what's before us, and we're like, well, I can't handle that. Yes. Yes. I actually like have recognized to start to appreciate that. Oh man, this is totally impossible. Whoop, it's gonna have to be Jesus. Because I know me, if it's possible, I'll do it. Anybody, anybody like me? If you know you can do it in the flesh and you don't need God, you're like, hey God, you can take a break. I got this one. <laughs> and then you go on and do it. And then you get confident in you and then you go on and do it again. And then you get confident in you and you go on and do it. And you're like five, six, seven years down. You're in a complete total mess. And you're like, God, why aren't you helping me? You ain't let me help you for seven years. And now you need my power. Just look at everything in your life as impossible. Everything. It is impossible for me to be a good husband to Kay. It's impossible. I used to try it in my own flesh. Almost ended up broke. Like broke in every way. Divorced, lose family, lost money, lose... Like, it was all about to go because I was doing, I was going to be a good husband, right? Read the books, did what the world said. Just so you, you guys know in here, if you are the husband that the world tells you to get, you know the number and the size of hoops that you eventually have to jump through because you, gotta, you go from birthday to birthday week to birthday month. I mean, it just keeps growing all the time. And you, and you got you to gotta write poems and you got to slay dragons, and you, and you got to be able to do both at the same time, like you're writing a poem, and, <laughs> and you got to be perfect father and do all perfect father stuff, and you got to, I mean, it's the, the stress of being what they say that you're supposed to be, and, the, and, it, and it changes all the time. On Tuesday, you got to be this guy. On Thursday, you got to be this guy. And I was trying to be all those guys. And finally just gave up. I ain't never going to make it. I am broken. There ain't no way I'm going to make it. So I just threw it all in the trash and just decided to be a bad husband. I know you guys are shocked because you know how good I am now. <laughs> the Lord's power in you is what makes you the hero. The Lord's ability in you is what makes you the ability to be a covenant friend. Jesus showed up to Gideon in this moment and offered him a covenant friendship. That's why it meant more to Gideon than you. If Jesus shows up in your life and said, hey, I want you to go in this strength, my calling, my word. And we're saying like, can I get something in writing? Can I get something tangible? Can I get something that I can feel, that I know that I know it's you and you're going to always be there with me? Gideon had a word from God and because Gideon understood covenant, it's okay. This God says, I'm going to take care of the Midianites and if I have to do it by myself, he's with me. Good to go. And rocked the house. And saved Israel from the Gideonites. He took one word from God, a covenant God, and changed the fate of a nation. One man with one promise 
rescued a nation. What can you do? The normative story of Scripture is that God has always walked into a person's situation to be the hero. Think through all the stories you know. God walking into David's life. Jesus walking into people's lives. God walking into Moses' life. Like, there's a bush on fire. Well, isn't this interesting? That is the normative story of all of Scripture. It's God walking in to people's lives and presenting himself as a covenant friend. Moses, I'll be your covenant friend. Okay. You want me to go back and tear down the largest country in the world, the most powerful ruler and the largest country in the world, and you're going to go with me and I got a stick. Yep. Okay. Covenant. This is why we need to understand covenant. Kay, Kay doesn't think about one day of me leaving her. Not one day. She can confidently be what she's called to be without any concern whatsoever of Steve leaving her or forsaking her. Because we have a covenant marriage. Ryan and Jess have no fear that Steve's taken off on them to go somewhere else. I've had the offers for bigger churches. I've had the money offers to go do the thing. This is what I'm called to be, and I'm called to be with them in covenant. You know how... For me, and it's, it's reciprocal. I know Ryan and Jess are with me forever. Forever. Do you know how much peace, how much confidence that can give me going into my future, knowing that there's going to be people with you? Now you know why the enemy wants to destroy a culture of covenant so that you will never know what your future is going to look like because you don't know who's going to be there. We should be covenant people. It shouldn't just be Ryan and Jess and Steve and Kay. It should be us as a community where we know that we know Stacy will never leave me. Bob will never leave me. I'll never leave them. A hero does not consider the personal cost of that mission, but rather they consider the obedience to the one who gave them that mission. In Acts chapter 20, these are some of my life verses, and so I have to be cautious here because I could take off and go running on these verses, but this was getting towards the end of the ministry of Paul. And he knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. And in verse 20, in the CEV, it says, I don't know 
what will happen to me in Jerusalem. But I must obey God's spirit and go there. Man, would to God more of us had that attitude. Would to God that if you knew God called you to go somewhere or do something, that you'd say, I don't care. I literally don't care what it'll cost me. If it kills me, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. What is the worst that can happen in that situation? What if you die doing God's will? You know, you wake up like, ha, ah, messed that up, didn't I? Yeah, but glad you're here. We're going to have fun together. We're supposed to be we're supposed to be free in the way that we live our lives. It says in Hebrews that one of the reasons that Jesus destroyed death for us is because all of humanity, all of their lives were in slavery to death, to the fear of death. And so Jesus had to destroy death in order to get the fear of death from inflicting into you a, a, a stealing away of your future. If you're not scared of death, then when the Lord calls you into deadly situations, you can go in there confidently. Right? Like marriage. <laughs> Amen. Okay, this might kill me, but I'm going to do it, Jesus. Okay, do it for me. It's a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. It's a cut where blood flows. Hopefully all the blood don't flow out. Amen. Y'all will get that later. Verse 22, I don't know what will happen to me in Jerusalem, but I must obey God's spirit and go there. Verse 23, in every city I visit, I'm told by the Holy Spirit that I will be put in jail and will be in trouble in Jerusalem. That right there, that verse would seal our decision. Well, the Holy Spirit said it's going to be terrible. Yep. Well, then that means that he doesn't want me to do it. Look at you with your logic. Fit, fit it right on in there, didn't you? Because obviously the whole purpose of living in today's world is comfort and entertainment. So if God wants me to do something, it's got to include comfort and entertainment. Right? Because that's the whole purpose of our existence. It's not, to, it's not to minister the gospel. It's not to fight against the darkness that's in this world. It's not to wrestle against those four different spiritual entities that are trying to enslave humanity. It, it's not to do the hard thing. It's comfort and entertainment. What's the easiest choice? What's the cheapest, easiest way for me to do this? The demonic way. Let me answer the question. The demonic way. That's the cheapest, easiest way for you to do anything. God's way is going to be so hard that it's going to be called impossible. That's what he calls it. Which means you're going to need him. He loves that. He loves that you need him. Verse 24, but I don't care what happens to me. Man. I would love to see a whole church filled with people that look adversity in the face and says, I don't care what you're saying to me. 
I don't care what you're trying to inflict, what fear you're trying to inflict on me. I don't care. I don't care what happens to me as long as I finish the work the Lord Jesus gave me to do. And this work is to tell the good news about God's gift of undeserved grace. Paul was a covenant friend to Jesus. I can't say that Steve is. I can say I want to be. But I don't know if I am. But I do know this. He is a covenant friend to me. Phillips, Craig, and Dean sang a song that says, I'm a friend of God. Y'all remember that? I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. They used to sing it and sing it and sing it and sing it and sing it. Sing it. And one time I stopped and I said, am I really a friend of God? Would God actually call me a friend the way I live my life? The way I treat my wife? The way I treat my children? The way I treat... My, this is before I pastored, but let's say it was now. The way I treat you. The way I handle myself in society. Would Jesus say, that's my friend right there, Steve Castle. That guy. Or is there times in our lives, is there times in our marriages, is there times in our families where Jesus is like, look, my friend would handle themselves this way and you handled yourself this way. There's only one person in the entire Old Testament that God called a friend. 4,000 years of human history, including people like Enoch that were so awesome that he walked with God so intimately that one day God said, hey, since we're closer to my house than yours, you want to just come over forever? And Enoch said, well, okay, and left. Translated. Didn't even die. And Enoch was not called a friend of God. I'm not saying Enoch wasn't God's friend. I'm saying there's only one person in the entire Old Testament that was called a friend of God. That means that it's, it's not something that just floats down on you like pixie dust out of the rear end of a flying horse. It's something that you're going to have to be purposeful about. Relationships in the natural and in the supernatural are things that have to be done on purpose. And to think we're just going to be floating along down this planet, minding our own business, thinking about our own thoughts, doing our own thing. And Jesus is going to be like, yep, that's my friend right there. He doesn't throw it around the way we throw it around. I can say, you know, I, I met Scott Downs one time, one time, one time. And he's my friend. He's my bestie. You know, I had like 15 best friends when we were in high school. Like sometimes at the same time. You got a couple of best friends in case one of them falls out, you got a backup. You know, there's a reason best is best. God doesn't call everybody friend. 
He wants to call you friend. He is always a covenant friend to you. What's your response? You cannot be a friend of God before you are an intimate disciple of his. Nobody just showed up. God showed up and said, hey, hi, I'm Jesus. Hey, good to meet you. And now you're my friend. You know, this doesn't, you wouldn't do that in the natural. You wouldn't be out there minding your own business and then bam, you run into somebody at Walmart and they're like, hey, you want to get married? I mean, it does happen, but it shouldn't happen. Sure, I want to get married. When? Right now. Okay. Let's go. What's your name again? And we think God is the same way. Like you show up and 30 seconds after you're born again, like, okay, well, I'm born again, so therefore everything's awesome. I'm God's best friend and he's my best friend. No, you, you don't even know his name yet. It needs to be intimate, authentic. You need to show him the places of your life and your heart that he has permission to go into. And I, I know that everybody's in here, well, Jesus got permission to go anywhere in my life that he wants. Bull. Bull. I'm, I'm super intimate with some people in this room and in my life, and I know for a fact that it's taken years just to barely get into some of the places that I am now. And I've showed myself faithful in their lives. So I know that Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene and we're just like, okay, Jesus, come on in. Take over everything. You can have it all. We sing that. We say that. We pray that. But it's just not true. Because we know that he comes to us sometimes and says, hey, you, need to, you know what you should do? Bob, you should go and apologize to Pam. <laughs> I didn't do nothing wrong. Pam was the one that, mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Pam? You know what Pam does. <laughs> we don't, we don't, he doesn't have that place in our life. Hey, write, write that ministry a thousand dollar check. Thousand dollars, I can't even spell a thousand. <laughs> hey, go serve that person that you don't like. No, you meant to go serve the person I really do like. No, I meant go serve the person you don't like. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. You cannot be a friend of God before you are an intimate disciple of his. And not everybody in this room is a disciple. And don't make me explain it. But it's just not true. You don't get born again and you're immediately a disciple. You cannot be an intimate disciple until you are a common disciple. There's a difference. You cannot be a common disciple until you've joined the crowd. In Scripture, this is the difference between the 500 who've seen Jesus ascend. At the end of Jesus' ministries, three and a half years of the most supernatural ministry that's ever happened on human, in human history. Jesus Christ did it perfect and did it more supernatural than anybody had ever done it or ever will do it. And for three and a half years did it perfect, perfect. 
And at the end of that, he had 500 people in his church. 500. Well, if I had a perfect pastor, then okay. He had 500 people. And after 500 people in his church, he only had 120 in the upper room. That means 380 of them were busy on upper room day. They didn't go to church that day, that week. They're not going to do all that fasting and praying stuff. I got things to do. You got, I tell you what, guys. You guys go over there fast and pray for six, seven, eight, nine days up in that upper room, which stank. They ain't got no showers up there. You guys go do all that. I'm going to go to work. I'll make the money for you. How's that? Deal? Jesus didn't say 380 of you go back to work, go back to regular life, and 120 of you go to the upper room. He told 500 people to go to the upper room. 120 showed up. It, like they didn't go to church on Christmas Day. <laughs> From the 120, we know there was 70. Jesus set 70 out in Luke chapter 10. So there were 70 people that he literally could give his name and give his commands to, and they would go out and fulfill it two by two. But before the 70, there was 12. We know that Jesus spent a majority of his time with the 12. And even so, one of those was a demon. Fell right in to the hands of Satan and did everything that his master wanted him to do. And from the 12, there was the three. There was Peter, James, and John. All the time, Peter, James, and John, Jesus took them on special missions. You know what's unique to me about that? You know, he didn't give a rip what the other, the rest of the 12 thought about him taking and showing special relationship to the three. Three, 12, 70, 120, 500. Where do you fall? In the progressive, modern, fragile, seeker-sensitive, feeling-based, eternally needy, Americanized, consumerism, churchianity, that essentially fits the description of biblical Nicodemus. Think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus had an intimate, personal, radical encounter with Jesus in John chapter 3. The reason you know John 3.16 is because of Nicodemus. That is a big deal. Nicodemus was the leader of the synagogue. He literally went with the cult leader Jesus as the leader of the synagogue. He could have been excommunicated. And in their society, you get excommunicated from the church, you're out of society. It's not just like, well, you don't get to go to beloved church no more and then you go down to the church down the street. You get kicked out of church, you're out. You're not a Jew anymore. Good luck. Hope you figure it out. That was what it potentially could have cost him to go hang out with the wacky rabbi who may or may not have a God complex. Meets him at night. That's how we know he was a little bit scared about the whole meeting. And then goes through John 3. 
this incredible encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus the Christ. That's how we know about being born again. It's because of Nicodemus. Jesus offered Nicodemus to be a disciple of his. And Nicodemus said no. And I know that most people in this room say, well, if Jesus offered me something, I'd take it. <clears throat> you just keep thinking that. The cost to being Jesus' disciple was greater than what Nicodemus would pay. He was still a Christ follower. I believe that he was probably one of the greatest financial supporters of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't want his money. I'm the same way. I don't want your money. Keep it. Especially if it's too much to give. I'll just take your heart. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's insinuated in between verse 58 and 59 was that dude went away. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If it ain't comfortable, if I don't get three square a day and get to stay in a holiday inn, I mean, I'm, I'm not signing up for this. Verse 59. And he said to another, Jesus, he, Jesus, said to another, follow me. But, the guy said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. You, you got to do a funeral. Well, yeah, don't you know how important my dead relatives are? He says to Jesus. Do you know how many people pick family over discipleship? Yep. Yep. Not only that, dead family. Oh, let that sink in. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are real quick verses that tell us that when Jesus calls us into discipleship, he actually doesn't accept all the excuses that we give him for why we can't. And these are just some verses. I, I can give you probably 50 of different times when Jesus called someone and they had excuses. Lord, I just got married. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. When I called you, I, did, I thought you were single and then you went off and got <laughs> married, so I'm sorry, no, no, no you don't have to be a disciple, go be married. You can be a disciple and be married. You know, is that shocking? <laughs> you can actually be an American and, and a disciple. And, I know. <laughs> it, it's crazy. When Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't about a physical location. It was about nature and character. Jesus was not looking for crowds of fans swooning around him. He was looking for covenant friends heroes who would carry his name. 
Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God in vain. That is a covenant statement. Any Orthodox Jew will tell you that that is the worst of the 10 that you could ever violate. An Orthodox Jew will tell you it would be better for you to murder than to carry the Lord's name in vain. Because if you do it in God's name, that person is beyond redemption. Having experienced cult in my life, I can tell you that the worst thing you could ever do to someone is go to them in the name of Jesus and do something contrary to the character and the nature of Jesus. Because that person can no longer be redeemed by Jesus because Jesus is the one that came in and caused the problem. Jesus is the eternal friend to us and for us. But what is our response? Proverbs 18, 19, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. When you offend your brother, when there's a fence that takes place in your life, it is harder for you to deal with than if you had to single-handedly go and take over a city in a military dispute. This is why Satan wants everybody in here offended at somebody. And especially offended at someone in here. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. The ESV says a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. The Berean study Bible says an offended brother is harder to win than a fortified city and disputes are like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 18.24 and NIV says one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. You know the devil knows the Bible? Is this shocking to anybody? He actually knows it better than you. He actually reads it more than you. Because he wants to know what his enemy's up to. We don't care what our enemy's up to, so we just go floating around from cloud to cloud thinking Jesus is going to come down, play his harp, and rescue us. But the enemy wants to figure out how to destroy you, so he studies. The one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, so the enemy will give you friends that are unreliable. Jesus wants you to have covenant friends in the kingdom that are always reliable because then you can't come to ruin. You know, if you're a covenant friend of mine, you're going to have to go to ruin over my dead body. Over my dead body. And we don't have that in today's world. And we need it. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have, if we had as much appreciation for Jesus and our spiritual family as some of us do for our natural family, our lives would be a million times better. There are friends who destroy each other, says the New Living Translation, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. 
In the ESV it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many friends. The bigger you make your circle, the more shallow it becomes. I got 5,000 Facebook friends. Well, aren't you special? I'll tell you right now, I got about 20 people total in my life that I'm intimate with, and it's already too much. <laughs> you can't be intimate with 100 people. But this room can still accomplish the goal of having intimate covenant relationships because there's enough people in here for everybody to get their 20. But if you really want to have deep, intimate relationships, you have to on purpose invest in the ones that you have, starting with your first covenant friend, Jesus Christ. Have a circle, protect your circle. Treat them with covenant. Whatever man gives, that shall he also reap. Please rise, I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.